Hi, and welcome to the FG Personal Training Podcast. In this episode, I speak to Ben Haining. Ben Haining is the Head of Strength and Conditioning at Reed School in Surrey and is a leading strength and conditioning practitioner, especially as those with youth populations. I've had a pleasure and privilege of training under Ben. And today in this episode, Ben shares his story of how he got to where he was, imparts some of his knowledge and tells you where you can go to learn from the best. Cool. So uh, hi, Ben. Thanks for joining me today. Pleasure. Uh, so let's throw it back to the start. So tell us a little bit about your coaching journey. So how, what was your kind of first coaching role? How did you get into it? So I think when you talk about a coaching journey, um, if I was going to go my first coaching journey, I actually, when I was at sixth form college, believe it or not, I did a, um, a community sports leaders award, right? And uh, basically, and it was with it was a, a, a school that um, joined our sixth form college, which had some um, students that had some sort of uh, physical disability needs and, and, and learning disability needs. Um, and at, they sort of made a bit of a mistake. And I randomly found myself as an 18 year old kid doing some coaching, leading these sessions with support from their teacher. Um, you know, as a, as a complete youngster. And the reason I share that was it sort of was, it was a really interesting, uh, challenging and incredibly rewarding environment right at the start. And that was really what got me going into, I, I, I like coaching. And then I went uh, on from there. And, and when I went to university and was, was playing various sports, I ended up playing a lot of basketball at Loughborough, but I ended up coaching the women's second team whilst I was sort of a first team player. Um, and funnily enough, after that sort of experience, I then ended up uh, working as a strength and conditioning coach when I'd sort of taught. So I taught for a little bit uh, in the state sector. Um, and whilst that was going on, I was doing bits of fitness training and PT um, stuff alongside my PE teaching. Um, and I got the opportunity to work with the academy players at Sussex Cricket Club. Um, and while that was going on, running in parallel with that, my, my former teammate from Loughborough, it's a little bit who, who you know, not what you know, uh, he, he'd done a brilliant pathway in pure basketball coaching and he had coached the Sheffield Sharks junior team. And basically he got um, appointed to be head of GB women's wheelchair uh, basketball, Paralympic uh, basketball. And he asked me to be his assistant because um, I'd actually played for him uh, at uni as well. Um, and he knew I coached a little bit. So while that was going on, so my coaching in the purest sense was following that sort of basketball stream whilst also I was playing my basketball, my rugby, but, but then I got the strength and conditioning running in parallel with that. So I had in, in 2004, I was, I was in a sort of um, really great position that I was coaching a sport um, as well as beginning my strength and conditioning program um, training and then sort of coaching full-time at Sussex because Sussex Cricket Club, because the academy job uh, led to them liking what I did. And I ended up fully in charge at the beginning of 2004 of the Sussex County Cricket Club. And then, of course, once you're in the sporting world and if you're doing an OK job, which hopefully mm -hmm. I was, you start to pick up other bits. So I ended up um, finishing wheelchair before. Um, and uh, basically, sorry, I've got, uh, got somebody trying to call me there. Um, but basically, I ended up with an um, opportunity to um, work with the England under-19 cricket team. So uh, it was one of those things where, and then all of a sudden you're involved in the county cricket setup, and then opportunities arise um, with the England um, sort of below the England squad, but what they had called the sort of England A squad or the, or the skill set. So, so I was very much on that cricket pathway. Um, and then 
from there, I ended up with a, a an opportunity to work with a tennis player. And at the same time, I went for a few jobs, wasn't successful in sort of Olympic sports. Um, and then I got recruited, sort of slightly approached by the LTA to manage strength and conditioning for the southeast of England with tennis players. Mm-hmm. But uh, the interesting thing about that was my main area of responsibility was sort of under 14 players. So I was working with eight year olds up to 14, having worked with adults um, and whilst this was going on, I was also working with a WTA player at Lane of Altisha. One thing led to mm-hmm. another. And then down the line, I got sort of put in touch with Reed School, who had a tennis academy. So a sort of sort of tennis um, pedigree, uh, Tim Henman's former school. Uh, and because I'd been in education, I'd been in sport and I was interested to work full time with lots of young athletes. Although there was the tennis link, the school where I'm at, I'm still here now. Uh, we work with all sports, men and women um, across a whole range of things. Um, and I set that sort of full-time S&C programme up here at Reed School in 2009 until the present day. So that's yeah, really cool. been journey. And along the way, I've done bits of consultancy with other people. So sorry to boringly quote the timeline, but that kind of gives you an idea of how I sort of moved into things. Yeah, so let's delve into kind of each section of that then. Um, so obviously, like I said, so you started off in a, in a purely sporting coach role alongside your kind of teaching career. So where did S&C come about? Did you do your... Did you do your education through SNC or did you kind of just fall into that or how did that happen? That's a great question. So I'm old, as you can probably pick up with my lack of hair. And unfortunately and fortunately, um, in around about 2002, early 2000s, there wasn't a lot of strength and conditioning um, in its sort of structured sense occurring in the UK. So I did a sports science PE um, and sort of business management degree at Loughborough. Um, and as a young man, obviously, I wanted to be a pro basketball player and I wanted to be a pro rugby player and, and, and realised very quickly that I wasn't quite going to make the, the level to earn a full time living out of playing sport. So coaching seemed a natural process. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I got the job with Sussex Cricket full time, I believe I was the second, only the second full time strength and conditioning coach in county cricket, believe it or not, in 2004. Because what you had is you had a lot of universities delivering the performance programmes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And strength and conditioning, obviously, sort of hugely developed in the sort of Eastern Bloc countries and then obviously in the USA, um, you know, with the NFL and all of that. And, and, and obviously they're a lot further ahead in terms of particularly with young athletes, you know, lifting younger and high school stuff going on in the States. So the UK was massively behind the curve. So what happened was I was sort of doing bits of fitness and playing sport and, and, and I, so I kind of fell into it. And then I kind of learned on the job and got my accreditation and did my learning on the job whilst being having an interest in fitness and training. Now, clearly nowadays, you would not, that would not happen. Um, mm-hmm. So the benefit of it was a sort of an interested coach with an interest in fitness and training and associations were being set up. And I sort of got accredited and did my training, as I said, on the job on top of my degree. And I began that while I was a PE teacher. So I trained as a PE teacher. So hence the sport opportunity arose and I took that opportunity. And I think in that way, it was, it was just an absolute, you know, amazing time and lots of opportunities for guys who weren't very experienced, but who were keen in this country. Mm-hmm. What I would say, though, is it was also challenging because we, we, we kind of laid the groundwork, you know, and a few people older than me. There was probably one generation a little bit older than me for the kind of the, the industry and sport and strength and conditioning in this country, if that makes sense. So yeah. on the one hand, 
on the one hand, it was great because it was a whole load of us chances that basically got ourselves in there with a bit of knowledge and, and developed. But on the other hand, once you're in there, you've got to prove yourself and you've got to move things forwards and you've got to be legit. So you, you take it whichever way you want to look at it. You know, I had to learn a lot very quickly and I had to go and find resources and go and visit other coaches in other pro clubs and bits and pieces and do a lot of fact finding and researching to get my skills and level up. Whereas now there's obviously a lot more education pathways and things out there. Um, but of course, the competition for jobs and opportunities are challenging. So good and good and bad, I suppose. Yeah. So you say you're kind of like fell into it. So how do you end up kind of at Loughborough University? Is that where you were teaching as well, Loughborough? So teaching? what I did is I did. No, well, yeah, sort of. So so what I did was I did my basic undergraduate degree at Loughborough um, yeah. and after that, it's, well, what are you going to do? You're going to do a master's, you go, well, what are you going to do? And if you wanted to be in teaching, you needed to do a PGCE. So I did a, a sort of certificate in education at Loughborough in the education part of the school rather than the sports science part of the, sorry, part of the university. Um, but the interesting piece with that, of course, is that then helped me down the line when I started wanting to work with younger athletes and to work in education because, of course, I was attractive to a school because I was a qualified teacher as well. Mm -hmm. And... And I did my sort of teacher training and I worked in a state school as a PE teacher for 18 months. Um, so that made the transition back into education a little bit more attractive. So when I start for the, for the employers, because clearly when Reed's got me involved, they knew that, you know, I could coach sports. I could teach a bit of um, PE. And over time, I've ended up less and less in the classroom and more just doing the coaching and the strength and conditioning. But in my role at the moment, I do coach, you know, like the under 16A rugby. I do coach. The, the sort of cricket teams and, and and all those other bits and pieces and the basketball teams as well as my, the majority of my job. And then the other thing as well, I'll just say, is I have a pastoral role at the school. So we we have a foundation students who've lost one or both parents and I run the boarding house that looks after a large proportion of those young men. So I've mm -hmm. developed a kind of pastoral role alongside the, the coaching role, which has been fantastic. Yeah, so how do you end up in... So you said you did your basketball stuff then you kind of got on the GB stuff. So... How do you end up in Sussex? How do you end up? So, so how did I end up there? Well, this is where, as I said to you, you may have said to you in passing, I'm one of those guys who tried every sport but didn't quite make it at any. So as a young lad, I was a junior cricketer with Sussex and South of England yeah. and Fringe England. And I got a stress fracture at 15, recovered fully, worked with some England physios, um, and then wasn't good enough. Didn't make the grade. However, two or three of the players that were my era were then involved in Sussex. So when I moved back to the area and they knew that I'd, I'd gone on and played other sports and, and was doing quite a lot of you know, weightlifting and different things, they, I had that history in the game and I had that mm -hmm. contact and I had that history with a club. So it was, a, it was quite an easy jump. You know, I wasn't yeah. not known to the, the pros. And when I worked in the game, the fact that I played to a decent level did help a little bit in terms of inevitably you get roped into doing feed, fielding drills and feeding bowling machines and giving throwdowns and doing all those sorts of things as well. So I was sort of had a fairly good skill set in that sport and contacts. And that's where it's tough, isn't it? Because it sounds a little bit like, well, you knew this guy and you knew that guy, but I was very proactive when the opportunity came, I went for it. Um, and I worked for free initially. Um, mm -hmm. I want to be clear when I started working with the Academy, I worked for free. I did a lot of voluntary work just to show them what I was about. And then they took a punt on me and the rest is history. So would you say the same attitude then got you into the LTA? Is it an opportunity that came up and that you just, or was that more of a headhunting base? 
that that was different. So the way that worked was obviously, I, so not obviously, I, I moved to the LTA in 2008. So I was with Sussex end of 2003 through to, to sort of beginning of 2008. And what happened there was I've been developing myself. We'd had some good results. I was lucky to be associated with a winning team. So we did a good job, but we had some great players. I got lucky in that regard. Um, and of course, you start to see people on the circuit. And a guy that I knew on the circuit happened to knew somebody else. He went for the England job. So did I, cricket. I didn't get it. But then, of course, people talk and say that there are people looking. And I got a phone call from an absolutely brilliant strength conditioning coach who would become my boss, who's a lady called Narelle Sight. Um, she just said, look, I can't guarantee anything, but, you know, this job's coming up. I'd be interested to have a look at it. And, uh, you know, the time was right. I'd done my cricket journey there and I was ready to move on. So I kind of got slightly headhunted. Um, but I, I, I went for a few traditional, I went for an England cricket job. I went for a, a GB basketball for 20, you know, for building up to 2012, didn't get those roles. But I think sometimes when people find out that you're, you're out and about, you're looking, these things sort of, sometimes people give you a call. Yeah. And how did you find the transition going there from, so say adults to kids, but how did you find it going from like a team environment to maybe kind of a more of an individual? Cause I guess around tennis athletes, they care less about each other than themselves. Great, great questions, by the way. <laughs> so Thank you. It really, really, really uh, challenging initially because I've always been a bit of a team man. So I've always been a, until recently, so basketball, cricket, rugby, football, always been my sports. And I'm very much a guy who loves the dressing room, loves the banter, loves that environment. Um, mm -hmm. and, I, and let me be clear, I absolutely love working with individual athletes as well now. And there's still great fun and great banter in those environments, but it's a slightly different mix. Um, yep. And one of the things I found actually more of a challenge was to go from a kind of dressing room uh, environment into a governing body, which is mm -hmm. much more corporate, much more not professional is the wrong word, but it's a very different kind of environment. So, you know, rightly or wrongly, I'm quite a banterous, loud, wisecracking character. Um, and I'm not quite sure what they thought of me when I rocked up in the National Tennis Centre and they're all quietly working in their corporate environments and they could hear me sort of laughing all the way down the corridor. So. <laughs> So um, that, was, that was a challenge. That was a challenge for me to just sort of adjust my professional standards a little bit to the environment I was working in. Tennis players are great in terms of working. They're very focused, very disciplined, because I think sometimes what you have, in, and so are some of the cricketers, but in that team culture, there's different cultures going on. Individual people are very, typically individual athletes quite focused. And I know since I've got into my grappling as I've got older, it's a very different thing competing you know, I'm in a stable of fighters and we have a great time and it's like the dressing room. But fundamentally, when you're out there, as you know, as a martial artist, when you're on your own, you're on your own. It's a different, it's a slightly different vibe. But I also think as well, in team sports, the guys who make it, guys and ladies who make it to elite level in team sports are very individually driven people as well. Um, mm -hmm. So the transition wasn't too difficult, but it, yeah, interesting time. Interesting time. Did that, did that change how you, from a coaching perspective, how you delivered like a session? Because I guess there wasn't, was there the competitiveness? I guess the competitiveness in the team sport was, oh, my mates jumped higher, so I've got to jump higher again. Did you get that in the team or was it kind of different? Did you have well, to manage what, what I would say, of course, is, is, is in many ways it's very similar because irrespective of the fact that it's an individual sport, all of these guys and girls are training with other people and sparring. I say sparring, you know, hitting and training together and competing with each other. And very often they're training in the young kids, for example, are training in the gym just like you know and so I didn't see an awful lot of difference in that regard what mm -hmm. I did see though which is the difference is there's lots of different things to the sort of the team environment there's the actual session delivery 
So whether I'm working with a tennis player, golfer or a, a cricketer or a rugby player, it's a one to one or a one to two or three golfers, you know, it's all it's all similar things. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's interesting, though, is the sort of match day team vibe. Have we won? Have we lost? Large warm-ups rather than warming up a single individual for an event. All of those sorts of things, very different. So, mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, you, you have that culture in a team sport where you're on the road a lot together. You're kind of living in each other's pockets a little bit more. Um, it's just a very different so just it was great you know i loved it and, and i'm very fortunate at reads in that now i work with everybody i work with individual sports people and i work with team sports people and when we've got people in normal circumstances training uh, under you know outside of the covid regulations we we will have you know two rugby players a skier and a tennis player in the gym with a couple of coaches at the same time so mm -hmm. do you know what i mean i, I it's, yeah. it's great to just mix it up and, and have lots of different sports people and I, I really enjoy working with all types of sports people and i would say you know, in individual sports, you get really, really big uh, extrovert characters. You get people who are, you know, more introverted and a bit quieter or reserved, as, as you would say, in, in every sporting environment. So there are some real parallels and there are some differences. Yeah. And so obviously, I guess the biggest transition was going from adults to kids. So I want to talk a little bit later about kind of the youth pathway and stuff that you that you set up that I've been sort of fortunate enough to do as well. But what was the where was the biggest difference? And then what was it that? drove you to set up a youth qualification was it was there shortcomings in other coaches or was it shortcomings in your own knowledge that went okay I've got to do something about this honestly you're hitting some very you're making me think here sharp questions um okay so if I was to unpick all of that first thing I would say is kids working with kids and adults is very similar and also extremely different so first point is adult athletes still want to have fun like young athletes do OK, mm -hmm. so the idea that, uh, you know, and, and some of the adults can behave like big kids sometimes, which is which is interesting to manage. Um, if you've ever refereed a game of warm up football in a pro cricket environment, you know that, you know, players can regress about 11 years old in terms of their outlook, um, which is amusing. Um, that's just unbitter because of the refereeing criticism I used to get. But the thing I would suggest is the big difference is, is typically when you're working in pro sport with adults, Let's say, let's use pro sport as an example, as a comparison versus elite young, young athlete. The pro sports people, they're proven in terms of that they are already excellent athletes, typically. They may have areas of weakness and stuff, but they wouldn't be at that level if they weren't physically very, very gifted, typically, typically. Mm -hmm. So what that means is you're immediately working with a talented, a very talented individual and kind of almost proven. But the downside as well is, is you're also going to be inheriting whatever's gone on in the past in terms of injuries, training history, attitude towards S&C, et cetera. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the great thing about working with elite athletes, and I'm working at the moment with a hockey club that's got a whole load of ex-Olympians and people in it. And you set up a drill and you set up some speed drills. And very often they know them, they've done them, and they do them to a really high level of quality. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's almost a few little points and away we go. And then you can start to hit more and more drills. If that makes yep. sense. Yep. The downside, of course, is if they've got lots of injuries or physical competence problems and you're picking them up as an adult, which is what I was doing. Remember, when I started, there hadn't been the pathway in the SNC and academies. We were we were setting it all up. Mm -hmm. You've gone then got that difficult challenge of you're trying to sort of give them a training history and get them to sort of do some very basic things whilst they're also being asked to do incredibly demanding physiologically and psychologically things out when they compete. Mm -hmm. 
The other thing I would say is with young people is use the analogy of a sort of a, a growing tree, like a, a pro sportsman at 32 at the end of his career is a strong but developed oak tree that will only move so much because they know what their body can tolerate. They are the product of the training history they've had in the past. You know, an 11, 12 year old young person is, is an open book in terms of where they can develop and what they can, they can do. But of course, they're unproven as well in terms of mm -hmm. their, not, you know, and, it's, and I want to be clear, you know, I moved away from, you know, my program. I have 140 kids in the program across a whole range of sports. We've got four or five coaches working, you know, and in the 12 years I've been here, we probably produced what I would call eight to 10 elite professional athletes, people who are now in Winter Olympic Games, playing pro rugby, in pro cricket. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The vast majority of the young people are going to be guys like myself who were talented at all round sports people don't quite make the grade, but then they're going to go off and be strength and conditioning coaches, go to university, get scholarships to America, et cetera, et cetera. So when I talk about that sort of elite, very, very few people work in, in that, get to that elite level. So if you're working with a group of elite um, adults, you're kind of rocking up with a certain very, very unusual population of individuals. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that answers a question, but what I like about the, the, with the young people is my view is, is I'm very much trying to get young athletes to a point where whether they're at a university, uh, whether they're going to play non-league, national league, amateur, semi-pro sport, or they're going to go all the way to the top. You want to be able to hand them over and people go, oh, right, so you can already lift and you're already strong and your core's good and you know how to train and you've got a great attitude and you love training and you have fun in the gym. And my goal is to hand what I wasn't receiving when I was working with the adult players when I started out in my journey onto elite sport practitioners or mm -hmm. development level practitioners and, and also engage young people in, in, in fitness and health, never more important than at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So obviously that brings me on to that, that we said the youth sizing. So where did that kind of, so for those that don't know, so you and I guess you were kind of the forefront lead of the, the youth strength conditioning program through strength conditioning education, which I've done, which was a, a brilliant course. And how did that come about? So was it kind of, was it you thought, okay, I don't have the knowledge here or was it other coaches you've seen, you've gone, actually, these guys don't have a clue of how to deal with kids. I need to put well, something the first, in place. To answer that, the first thing I would say is that I, yeah, I have to credit hugely the vision the visionary attitude and, and approach of Brendan Chapman, who runs Strength Conditioning Education. So I want to be absolutely clear. This is a, a guy who I worked with when he was a young coach. We worked at the same job, same level at the LTA. He's younger than me, so he did everything, done everything better and faster than me. Um, but obviously, he, he was developing a level four pathway and his, his, his company was developing bits and pieces. And we, we, we've remained close friends for years and, and colleagues. And he sort of came to me and said, I'm thinking, I, you know, so a credit for him. He was thinking about the importance of a youth pathway um, and, and giving that strand to education for, for coaches. Because there was so much there for your sort of adult PT, potentially strength and conditioning. But what was there in the market for the youth stuff? And I was getting to the point where I think we put, I'm trying to remember, I think it was about 2016-ish, 2015, we put it together, started putting it together. And I was at that point where I, I felt like I'd accrued a lot, accrued a lot of experience, and I just wanted to share, and I wanted mm -hmm. to get my knowledge out there, and I wanted to genuinely wanted to support people. Inevitably, you want to do well commercially and, and and make a difference, but I just felt a little bit like I was in my silo in my environment at Reed School, which is great, and I'm still here to this day. But I wanted to work with young coaches like yourself, and I also remembered the journey that I went on 
going all over the place to find various different courses and coaches. And I just thought, I, I want to just make my own small contribution to, to a bit of coach education. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the knowledge was there based on years of experience, trial and error and making mistakes and learning and, and, and seeing near misses that you don't want to see young coaches go through and really understanding how to excite, engage and enable young people and keep them safe because fundamentally that's the most important thing. If you're working with other people's children, you need to make sure that it's a really safe, positive environment. Um, and I just wanted to share that. Now, inevitably, when you start working on a career pathway and you start going, do we like, what do we want in? What do we not want in? What's missing? Wah, wah, wah. All of a sudden your knowledge, your knowledge gets better, right? It's just the same as mm -hmm. in martial arts, isn't it? You know, I, I believe you're, what are you, black belt, third down, is it? Or fourth down? I can't remember. Uh, fourth down now, yeah. Just recently graded. I, so I do follow you, buddy. I do follow. <laughs> so I would imagine part of your process as a martial artist is you do quite a bit of, um, you know, uh, you know part part of it is 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 hugely about coaching as you get up those belt levels yeah and mm -hmm. i would that be your experience of the martial arts a little bit you teach a little bit yeah so i don't teach so much anymore but i mean i was lucky so i worked one of the biggest karate clubs definitely in the area but one of the biggest in the country and i managed to get a paid coaching job at 14 years old um it was two pound 50 an hour on a sunday morning um, and basically my job was to stand in the corner of the room and look at kids whose belts had come undone just to kind of spot a mistake <laughs> and go and tie them back up. That was my job for £2.50. And I kind of came through that process and I became a full-time instructor at 18. But yeah, I mean, like definitely the, I, I think definitely coaching definitely upped my own, upped my own game because you become more aware, don't you? Yeah. And I found with my basketball, I, I, when I was coaching the Loughborough women's second team, I was a bench first team player. So I was not a superstar at all. You know, my, my mate, who I've got to go and pick him up from, from the airport tonight, um, long story. But basically, um, he was a superstar. <laughs> but I found, because I was not a fabulous athlete, you know, I was an average athlete um, on the basketball court, um, I had to work really hard to understand the game and my movement and shapes and strategy to try and maximise myself as a player. So the point I suppose I'm trying to say is, I think if you're a player that's interested in improving playing playing sports and you know I I do myself down but I was a decent all round athlete and and I find now as a as a as a jujitsu practitioner and I sort of got my blue belt about a year ago pre lockdown you know I'm now starting to do a little bit of coaching with the white belts and I love it because I'm now thinking all oh, right so that's how I'm thinking about trying to set the arm bar up or whatever so the point I'm trying to say is I think when I put the youth coaching pathway together with Brendan. And, you know, and he, he absolutely held me to account to make sure that it's a decent product, hopefully, and, that, and it's a decent pathway. And it's not, you know, nothing is perfect. Every, you know, I'm really proud of what we put together, but there's lots of different ways to coach and develop. But I think the principles, as you've been through, are pretty solid. Um, yeah. And of course, when you put that together, you develop and you have to read resources and what do other people think and what are people doing and what, what do we want in and what do we want out and where do we want to get to? So I, I think as a coach, you're on a very, very slippery slope the minute you think you know everything. Um, mm. And I also think, as we all do, you know, I'm, I'm proud of myself in the last year that I've got in a bit better shape. I was starting to become one of those fat coaches who tells people what to do. And I've actually really tried to, to try to sort of, as an older bloke now, to try and, you know, lead by example, which is where doing my own grappling has helped. Um, because I think it's important to be a role model. You don't have to be, you know, like the other day we did a 10 lap run with some of our tennis academy players. We've got lots of GB players in there. And uh, I think I came second last. I beat one of the 12 year olds, right? Mm -hmm. I was doing eight, seven and a half minute miles and I was going as fast as I could as a hundred kilo bloke. 
and I got thrashed by the kids. But they loved it. And they loved the fact that Sir's having a crack and he's having a go. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and, and, and at the end of the day, if you're going to talk to kids about nutrition and habits and all of those sorts of things, or stand in front of talented young developing coaches like yourself, um, you've got to be authentic. Otherwise, you're just, you're just the guy who talks a good game, doesn't live, doesn't live it. But by the yeah. same token, I think one of the things I learned as well is it's that nice sweet spot where you don't have to be better than the athletes. You're not trying to compete with the athletes. It's about them. It's not about you. And I think sometimes some practitioners are a little bit more like, I like to coach so that I can just do lots of training and compete with all the athletes. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, athletes want, in my opinion, and particularly the, particularly the pros, young pros, they want to know that you can go for a run with them and you're not miles behind. And you want to know that they want to know that you're legit. Um, and you live by what you preach or, or, or you teach. But at the same time, they're not looking for you to beat them. <laughs> and, and good luck trying to beat them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll give yeah, you an example. I'm sure, I'm sure if you work with an elite MMA fighter, for example, you know, you might be able, as an SNC coach, you'd be able to talk a great language about karate and striking. And they might ask you a few things about a few techniques, but you wouldn't be going, right, let's get in the cage and I'll, uh, and I'll, and I'll sort you out you know, Mr. McGregor or whatever, whoever you're working with. So I think there's, you just need to understand where you're at. Yeah. And I think that was a big eye opener for me. I mean, I remember when I, I, I studied the BTEC in sports coaching at college after I left school, I was my GCSE. And the first thing we did when we got there and it opened my eyes a lot to what a coach was because we watched Kez, the film where they got the PE yeah. teacher. Who, yeah. And, um, and um, they were like, this is a bad, this is a bad example of a PE teacher. And I was watching that film, I was like, that was my PE teacher at school. Literally, that was my PE teacher at school. And that means I'm only, I'm 26. It wasn't even that long ago, really. And I know this guy's still at the school. So I'm not going to mention who he is or what school it was, but he's, he's still at the school now. And he was very much like that. It was like, right, 11 aside, I'm up front, I'm the captain, let's go. And it was, yeah. And the other thing as well is, is when you when you're a good coach or teacher, because obviously I teach as well, you know, your 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 past pedigree or whatever, you know, that speaks for itself. And if the, you'll get opportunities to show what you can and can't do. I mean, I had a lovely story we during lockdown, the only thing we've been able to do recently is play play um, you know, a bit of six aside football in a local league competition. So we put a staff team together and a couple of our sixth formers, we don't you're not allowed to, and rightly so, you're not allowed to play the, the young kids in school setting because it's just too much of a risk for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. But we, we, we played in a division and they, these young lads are playing in the other side of the draw and, and we've been watching, you know, they've been laughing at the staff, you know, losing or winning narrowly and they're smashing everybody. Um, but there was a couple of nice moments where they were short of players and they were playing some quite niggly teams and it was like, sir, you know, will you play with us? And, you know, I'm cruising around, snarling around at the back, playing at centre-back and showing the kids that it matters and that I can still do it. And they love that. They love that. But yeah. and, and helping them and helping them learn. But it's not about competing with them. It's about facilitating and supporting them. And it's their journey. And that's coaching. If, if it's all about you, then players, coach, uh, young athletes, everybody, you know, pro athletes, they'll all see through that. They'll all see through that. And you have to be able to understand that if you want stuff about you, you know, like with my jiu-jitsu, that's my time and that's my area to compete and I go and do that and everything else is about in the service of other people and I'm sure you're similar with your karate. So uh, it is karate, isn't it? I've got that right. Yeah. Excuse yeah, my argument. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. it, you know that, that's the game, mate. I think it's it, leave your ego at the door. Yeah, and I think something that Brendan, I had a podcast with Brendan a couple of weeks ago and 
something he said and it stuck with me he said the reason why he created the level four was because he found a lot of academics masquerading as coaches and that was verbatim what he said and I thought actually that was quite a good little so that's why I didn't know what your sort of experience with other coaches and maybe the youth pathway was maybe a little bit more like that I'm not sure if you agree with that or not but that was something no that I, think, I think I think Brendan and my philosophy things are very much aligned um and I think I'm all about you've got to have the knowledge knowledge and you've got to have the learning um but I'm a coach. I'm not a scientist pretending to be a coach. Okay. Mm-hmm. And players. But having said that, I don't think that there's anything, you know, if you look at elite inter- international uh, team or individual coaches, you know, they're going to be using force plates. They're going to be using accelerometers. They're going to be doing some really high end stuff. Okay. Which I've experienced as a younger guy and, and, and even working with these hockey players with, with getting more into the GPS data and more of the analysis. And that's brilliant, right? That's that's the cutting edge of of elite sport. But yep. you know, and even with our you know junior athletes, our rugby players, we've got them with GPS on, and we're looking at forces, and we're we're, we're adjusting their training load with some of those guys. So it filters down, and that's amazing. But you know, at the same time, can you teach a squat? Can you create a great environment in the gym? Are people having fun? Do you know what I mean? Because sometimes mm-hmm. the science. People are just sort of, they're using that to hide their insecurity. I think, you know, you've got to be comfortable. I mean, one of the things I'm always challenging myself is just keep reading, keep progressing, keep learning, go talk to more people. Don't assume you know it or otherwise, you know, a great quote, I believe in the greatest barrier to being great is becoming good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, but I, I, ultimately, I, I'm, I'm all about just if people want to listen to what I've got to say, if they're listening to this podcast today, going, this guy's droning that's fine. But if they're listening, thinking, oh, I quite like what he says. Great. And if that helps people in their careers and how they want to move forward to working with young athletes or pro athletes, you know, brilliant. That's why yeah, so- when you invite me to talk on here, to talk if anybody wants to listen. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> they will, mate. I'm sure they will. So I want to take it. I want to side strand a little bit. So if you don't want to talk about it, please tell me you don't want to talk about it. But you mentioned Elena Bautasha that you'd worked with her. And when I did the youth yeah. program with you up in Reed, you talked about sort of your closeness with her. And then you'll work with the foundation. So I don't know if you just want to use this little opportunity now to talk about talk about that. I know it's a bit of a yeah, side strand. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, listen, Elena Bautasha was was a fabulous athlete. She got to 49 in the world. She she won rounds at Wimbledon and she had an incredible um, Davis Cup. Sorry, not Davis Cup, um, Fed Cup, the ladies, um, you know, international uh, record. Went to the 2012 Olympics. Um, you know, fabulous athlete, incredibly brave fighter in 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 the in life and in and on the court um her her partner who became her husband nino severino was a friend of mine who i met in pro sport in cricket see all of these things you you bump into people and you work together so we just forged a relationship we said i've got this really special young you know lady she'd had a load of injury problems and back issues and, and i got brought in to try and help get her back into it so when we started working together she was about 500 in the world having been about 120 and it was an amazing journey and she had a lot of challenges on the way. And then sadly, she had an underlying condition um, that, that it, it just sort of got missed and developed into liver cancer and sadly we lost her. So, um, and, and, you know, she was only a few years younger than me. She's quite significantly younger than me, but it, like a peer, you know, so mm-hmm. I would work, you know, I'm trying to work out the ages, but anyway, we lost her when she was about 30, bless her. Um, and, I got asked to be a trustee of her foundation that, that looks to support in sport and in tennis, 
getting into tennis, particularly from backgrounds where they might not have the opportunity initially to get started in the game of tennis, which is an expensive sport to get started on the pathway. Um, and, and the foundation is morphing into doing all sorts of things for, for young people. Um, you know, I'm very passionate about it and, and losing her was, was, was the worst, was the worst, you know, one of the worst experiences of my life, to be honest. And, and just very, 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 very tragic. Um, but, you know, her legacy is, you know, all the positivity that comes out of it. And, you know, we never forget her and that's it really. That's kind of all I can really say on it. Um, but she taught me an awful lot. And the other thing that she taught me was I worked with the wheelchair, the women's uh, wheelchair basketball uh, team. Um, and I've coached women at basketball, as I said early on. So I've always enjoyed coaching, working with female athletes as well as male athletes. And there are some, some great similarities, differences, people are people. But she really helped me understand an elite female athlete, you know, work at the top level with quite a lot of problem and how to handle that. And she, and she was just a fabulous person, incredibly classy. I mean, I won't share all of it now, but lots of little stories on the tour of just what a fabulous you know, lady she was and, and highly respected and, and liked by people like the Williams sisters for, for various reasons. And, you know, great, great human being great human being and, and that's the thing in coaching sometimes you have those moments where you really 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 dark moments so losing her was was a real tragedy after she retired um recently retired so yeah not i don't know what else to say it was it, it was really it makes me feel a bit emotional talking about her but you know very proud to have been especially with yeah it's good so let's move on to sort of say like say the, the foundation stuff's doing some great work as well guys so what's the name of the foundation then it's the elena baltasha foundation yeah. Um, and um, the chairman is Nino Severino, who is her husband and coach uh, mm -hmm. towards the end of her career. Um, yeah, and there's there's going to be lots of good stuff coming out. We're, we're, we're moving and branching out into various areas. Um, Martina Navratilova is a sort of patron, as is Judy Murray. Um, a lot of really high-quality people, lovely people supporting the foundation. So, yeah, if you want to check it out or get involved or support what we're doing, that'd be that'd be brilliant you know and, and I, I've enjoyed doing some fundraising for it as well so that, that was good that was part of me dealing with the grief of the situation and somebody I got very close to was to do a lot of fundraising and bike rides and crazy crazy capers so uh, that's it that's been the journey on that one yeah great stuff so check that out as well guys uh, great great work there so let's bring it back to coaching so uh, just a yep. couple of last ones so just tell us a little bit now sort of you're at Reeds now so what are you what how does your role look like now with COVID and post-COVID and then what does the future look like for, for Ben Haynes? So it's been, a, yeah, brilliant. Um, well, well, I would say it looks brilliant. I was, I was just saying <laughs> brilliant, brilliant question again. I'm not, I'm not brilliant. Uh, well, listen, look, Lee, Reed School has been brilliant to me, uh, has looked after me and has helped me grow the programme and build my career here. Um, the the programme has grown. COVID has been massively challenging. So initially we had to do sort of recorded content and and of course with, with people going on furlough and various bits and pieces professional coaches in the sports here and whatnot we kind of got tasked with leading the, the whole physical activity for the whole school community um so the first phase was sort of me doing haining training you see what i've done there recorded content um just bodyweight workouts for people and then of course joe wicks came along and showed everybody that you could do live workouts um so I was under pressure. I'm never going to look as good as Joe. But um, <laughs> so, so what then happened is we started doing some live and some recorded content. Then we came back to school for the autumn term and I had to do an adapted program in the gym with all sorts of the standard gym 
um, you know, all the things that all of our practitioners listening will, will be dealing with, but, you know, screens and bubbles. And with the kids, of course, I had to extrapolate it to education so we couldn't mix year group bubbles. So it was a real headache trying to get all of the sessions to fit in their year groups and schedule the whole week. So we delivered that for three months. Then the then the the, the second and third lockdown with the new variant, we, had, we actually, the last three weeks when we came back because people were uncertain about the variant, we actually had to go outdoors. So uh, I spent the uh, I spent the last couple of uh, weeks doing a whole outdoor program. So basically, we we had to do lots of year group, build a structure, build a um, build a whole program around these year group bubbles, as well as all of the COVID restrictions that you would have in any normal gym with ventilation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, but we delivered a live program. We we're really proud of that, and the kids did brilliantly. The kids have been fantastic. Um, and then recently, we had to go outside. So the last three, four weeks of term, I've been delivering an outdoor, prior to the Easter holidays, we've been delivering an outdoor program. So I moved a load of stuff outdoors and all the safety parameters that go with that, um, just while we were seeing what this new variant did. So I'm pleased to say that hopefully in a week's time, we're going to be, when school go back, uh, we will be back in the gym on, on that sort of previous setup. And we will look to open up our offering maybe get some of the staff offering back for the gym and, and, and some of our borders and broaden it out a little bit. But it's taken a, an enormous out of me in terms of the sort of health and safety planning, working with colleagues about what we can do, what we can't do, interpreting guidance, which isn't, and trying to marry and mesh the difference between gym guidance and education guidance and where where's the crossover and where are things where you've got to make some make some decisions so without being boring it's been an interesting um interesting analysis of a lot of government documents that come out quite quite late notice mm -hmm. yeah I feel you're and then who, who knows I'm, I'm coaching here I'm, I'm still enjoying the boarding house and you know i'm getting to that stage of my career where things need to progress and evolve but you know committed to the cause and we'll keep looking at developing and and uh, and all of that i'm keen to work towards the purple belt in my in my sort of my own sport and do some more comps um and i've got two kids two young kids who you know running me ragged all, all the time and you know and a very supportive wife that tells me what to do and what i need to do so i've got to keep her happy so life is good mate just want to see things open up and be able to see guys like yourself in person and get get out at some conferences and start leading a normal life again hopefully fairly soon yeah definitely so uh, thanks for joining me today ben is there anything you want to add or is there anything you want to plug so i always give anyone a chance to plug anything they've got going on at the end of the podcast uh, so anything you want to plug no i'm not going to plug anything on myself just say good good for you mate good for you getting this stuff getting this content out there thank you very much for asking me it's, it's, it's been really nice to chat hopefully it was useful um and that's what we need is 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 coaching always evolves and for us for grumpy old coaches like me, we need these young, hungry coaches who, who want to progress, who want to embrace social media, who want to drive things forward. So uh, well done for doing it, mate. And um, yeah, hopefully what I said might add a bit of value in, 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 to your listeners. Yeah, cheers, mate. And for those guys that want to do sort of a youth programme or youth pathway, uh, if you're not training with Ben Hayden, and I'm not saying it because he's here, but if you're not at least hitting this guy up on Facebook or something and having a chat with him, is you're doing it all wrong so uh that's the biggest credit i think i can give this man sitting in front of me because uh what he doesn't know about youth training probably isn't worth knowing uh so again thanks for joining me today ben and uh hope absolute pleasure mate pleasure sorry we dropped in out a couple of times all right take care you stay safe no worries buddy cheers mate see you later cheers mate bye